It's about your worth and about value. Let me say this to you, and please don't get upset. I know some of you will get upset. Some of you may even begin to cry and other things. I know that within crowds of our church, I know within our first service and in this service, that there are some people that are probably here that have been told either by parents or by friends or by spouses that you're nothing, that you're worthless, you're absolutely useless, that you've been told that you're just an accident, you were just a mistake, and I got to tell you, they're liars. I'm here to tell you that all those that told you that lied to you. They deceived you because God says that you are wonderfully and fearfully created, marvelous in the hands of Almighty God, are each and every one of us as his creation. No matter what, it may have been a teacher, it may have been a coach, it may have been a friend that has told you, it may have been a boyfriend, a girlfriend, that you're useless. And in the society that we live today, we are commonly, or, or excuse me, constantly bombarded with that kind of thinking because now we live in a country and in a world where we throw away 40-something million babies. Where we tell people that Okay, if you do this, it's no big deal because it's not life in the womb anyway, and we just extract them, remove them, vacuum them out, and throw them in the trash can, and then we wonder, why is the suicidal rate among 12 to 14-year-olds increased to 160% the time in the last 10 years? We wonder why people are in their homes hanging themselves as teenagers, what is telling these kids that they don't have hope? Well, first of all, it's scientific methods that tell them that they are useless and have no hope because really there is no creator and there's nothing spectacular about life because basically life began when all of this mineral stuff came down into this pool and as it came into this pool, it became an organism and it came out and it walked and it turned into a catfish and the catfish grew legs and it walked on land and the catfish that walked out, then later it became an orangutan and then after that it became Brent. <clears throat> that's what we're teaching people, right? <laughs> that's what they say about us. Me and Brent are close that we can do that. <clears throat> that's what they're telling you. And so if you hear that scientific explanation, you're constantly walking around, Sister Tori, and you're going, well, if all this is just a big mistake and ain't a big deal, then why do I need to be here? That's why kids are checking out early. That's why you go and you find them in their homes and they've hung themselves with ties. Clay, that's why they're in the backwoods somewhere hanging themselves in trees because somebody's told them they're useless, they're stupid, they'll never amount to anything, they never came from anything, they're never going to anything, but I'm here to tell you today that's a fat lie. That is a horrible, hellish, devil lie that's been sold. And for people to know what they need in Jesus Christ, they need to know that they have value. I know that all of us, I know that none of us are exempt, and every one of us at one time or another has been in our own place where we've gone, no one cares about me. And you've all been there. No one loves me. No one cares for me. It's the worst thing ever. And, you know, if you were a kid when you did it, you're in the bedroom going, <laughs> doing that cry. You know what I mean? Trying to catch your breath. We've all been at that place where we felt like no one really even cares. You know, even the songwriter years ago got to the place where he thought that no one cared. 
And he wrote these lyrics that says, no one has ever cared for me like Jesus. You know, I can witness to that. I was raised in a home that was full of love. We didn't have much. We didn't have a lot of possessions, but I was loved by my dad and my mother. I'm telling you that we, we had all of that care there. But there was even points in my life, just as well as yours, to where we would all feel like no one really cares. No one really loves me. And I can remember being in my bedroom thinking that the evening that I gave my life to the Lord. Psalms chapter number 8 says this in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. He didn't say that in a monotone way. He said, no, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Before we can even get into the scripture this morning, the introduction is always the best part. How many of you know the best thing about a house is the front porch? The best thing about a house is sitting on the front porch. I love the days, Brother Bill, you sit on the front porch. In order for us to get into the house today, we got to figure out that the front porch is really good. The Bible says that David says, Oh, Lord, our Lord. I don't talk to Patty that way. I don't go to Patty and go, Oh, Patty, my Patty. You know what I mean? And most of us do that in our prayers. Please don't get you know, offended by what I'm about to say. But most people always, we go, God, we just thank you, God, for all the things, God and Lord and everything you did. And we, we call his name like 50 times in one prayer. And it may be because we're so nervous because we're talking to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you know, the God of all creation. But David says right here, it's something different. In our English language, we can't miss it. He says, oh, Lord, capital, all caps, oh, Lord, our Lord, and with a capital L and the rest is lowercase. And so it's got to have some kind of meaning. And what David is saying is that he says, oh, Lord, and that word there in the Hebrew is, he says, Jehovah. In the Hebrew tongue, it's Yehovah. He's saying, oh, Lord. He, you remember when Moses says, who am I going to tell him sent me over here to deliver the, uh, the uh, Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians? He says, you tell them the I am sent you. In other words, he said, you tell them the Jehovah God, the name of God, the name that is above those names. It is Jehovah, and it means that God will save, amen? And what he's saying is, is oh, Jehovah, oh, God that is greater than me, above me. And then listen. He said, this is so good. I'm trying to contain myself, but it's so good. He says, oh, Jehovah, our Adonai. He says, oh, Jehovah, our Adonai. You say, Brother Steve, I don't, I'm missing that. I don't understand that. He's saying, oh, Jehovah, God, who is God, but also you are my heart. You are my adoration. All of my love belongs to you. What he's saying is, is that while you are God that created all things, you are also loved and you are my father. He says, Adonai. And Adonai is a term of endearment where he is bringing, he's not trying to bring God down to a level. He's showing that God has brought David up to that level by putting Jehovah and Adonai together. Y'all get that? If you understand, do like this, okay? If you don't, man, it's good. And that's the front porch, you'll miss it. He says, you are, have, have a name above all the earth, and he says, and you have set your glory above the heavens. Now let's look at the rest of the scripture. He says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, and that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. I was telling this morning, that's not Thor or Hulk, the avenger. Look at verse 3. It says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. David says, what is man 
that thou art mindful of him. And the son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. And hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands and hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yes, or yea, all beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. And then he says it again, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I've got three things that I want to share with you and it's not, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. One of them is going to take a long time. But looking at the first thing, I want to show you the worth of creation. In order to see what our value is, we've got to look at all of creation. And the Lord takes us to this scripture here through David, and he says, let me show you the worth of creation. You know, what kind of magnitude that God puts value all on all the things that he's created, but what a value that God's put on life. And when I'm talking about life, I'm talking about you and I. I understand that that tree out there is alive because it is producing fruit and leaves. Well, not right now, but it's, it's alive. We know that it's there. But there's something different about the word life that you and I are talking about when it comes to humanity and comes to mankind. The Bible teaches us that we were wonderfully and fearfully. Look at what it says. Psalms, Psalms chapter 139, verse number 14 says, I will praise thee. He said, I'll praise you, Lord, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. He said, I understand that, and my soul even understands that, that I was fearfully and wonderfully created. All this year, I've been hung up on this thought that God gave me, and I wrote it down in my phone, and I've been so hung and captivated with this, is that I do not understand a world that can look in a microscope and magnify something to a hundred and thousand times and they'll say that this little thing is crawling around, this little bitty amoeba or whatever, this life organism is crawling around, and they'll call that life, but they can't look at a woman who is pregnant at seven, eight, nine months and see a handprint come across her belly or a footprint come across her belly and they say there's no life in there. I don't understand how we try to look with all of this defined area and we look at it this way, but yet we can't even see what's in front of us. We are a pharisaical world today. Jesus told the Pharisees, you strain a gnat and you'll swallow a camel. He said, you know, you look at all this stuff scientifically and you miss everything and you can't even see what's blatantly in front of your face. It's because of what Jeremiah has said that we no longer understand right from wrong. We call good evil and evil good, and we do it in the sight of God. Even in the church today, we've become the people that can't discern the things of God, and the reason is is because we're more filled with Facebook than filled with the Bible. We're more filled with news reports and CNN and Fox and all of these other things. We spend more time taking that garbage in than we do the Word of God. And you've got the Word of God everywhere you go. You got it in paper form. You got it on your cell phone. You got it on your tablets. You got it on your computers. You have it everywhere you want. But how much of it are we putting into us? David sat back and he did something that we all need to do. Here's what we need to do. He did an appraisal on value. He did. David sat back and did an appraisal on value. And an appraisal is, is that you sit back and you're kind of taking an inventory. You're kind of seeing what something is worth. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, O Jehovah, our Adonai. And what he's saying is, is if you look at this, I still don't think you got it yet. What he's saying is, is, O God, my heart. That's it. He's saying, O Lord, my heart. 
He says, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glories above the heavens? He says, your glories and your kingdom is above all of these things that I can clearly see. He said, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. Look at the last part. He says, when I consider thy heavens. The Bible says that David said these words right here. Mom, he says, when I consider thy heavens. So now David, we're finding David, if he's either by the stream or if he's by the caves of Qumran, wherever he's at. Josh, he's sitting there and he's going, All right, I'm going to take time for a moment. And it's going to stop. And I'm thinking about the things of God. Now, if we're all honest, we don't do that as much as we should. I promise you that most of you have not seen the moon all year long except for just a few weeks ago. Nobody stepped outside back in July, back in March and all that. Went, You know what? I'm going to take a snapshot of the moon and the stars beside it. No, you didn't until the news reported the Bethlehem stars coming. Right? Let's be honest. What happens to us is just like what happens in the city. We get so surrounded by artificial light that we really can't see all of the heavens that God has created. You know what that tells me? God tells me that I need to go fishing more. You know what I mean? That's God telling me I need to go fishing more, nighttime fishing more and all that. Why? Get away from all of the other busy stuff and to get out and to see it. How many of you, if you go fishing or, or you go to the mountains or you love to go to the beach and, and like flip like a piece of bacon, you do all, this. You do all that because you know why? Because you, you have those moments that you just take it all in. You know what I mean? Wouldn't you love to be in the mountains this morning up there in Gatlinburg and be in Cage Cove at that little Baptist church over there and we had that service, you know, this service there. Wouldn't you like that? Some of y'all go, no, they don't have any heat there. Right? To look out on those mountains and stuff and just, what do you do? You just stop for a moment and you go, that's beautiful. And then the very next thing you do, you're trained to do, we're, give my phone. And you take a picture of it. I got to share it with everybody else because everybody, they won't know I'm here unless I give them a picture of it. Right? That's what we do. David does this. He goes, I'm stopping, and I'm going to consider something. In other words, what he was doing, Brother Clay, he was doing a math problem, and he was taking it all in. He says, first of all, God, when I consider what? He said, when I consider your heavens. He said, I consider thy heavens. You know what he was doing? He's considering all of creation. What David was doing, he was trying to wrap his mind around everything that he was seeing, all of the sky, the blue sky, whatever was happening, even if it was raining or whatever. And he's going, when I consider all this and I take in thought all of your creation, the next thing he says is when I consider not only your creation, your heavens, he says, but the things that you've done, the very work of your own fingers. David was moved when he saw the creation. What does he want to do now? He wants to know who did what? Created it. When you see a painting, you want to know who painted that. When you see something done, you want to know who built that, right? So David says, when I consider all of the heavens, all of your creation, he said, it causes me to think about the work of your very own fingers. And so it makes me think about you, not my creation, but my creator, right? And the last thing that he does, he says, the things that you have ordained. This is good. And this, if you don't hear anything today, listen to this part. David says, when I think about this world and all that you created, and I think and know that you were the master creator of all these things, it brings me great comfort to know this, that what you've created by your creating hands, you're in control of. He's in control of it. Too many Christians are running around like chicken little and the sky's falling. 
Everybody's just doing this. What's going to happen? What's the world coming to? And all this. And the Bible says right there that God has put these things and he has ordained them. He has laid them in plan. Basically, it's like this. And I'm going to dumb it down because I need it to be dumbed down. God took the sun and screwed it into its socket and hung the mirror on the nail to be a reflector. And they're not going to move until God says it's done. There's nothing that's going to happen that God doesn't know about, that God is not in full control. And you say, but Brother Steve, men and women are running wild on this earth, and sin is everywhere, and it seems like Satan's devils are doing all of this stuff. By what? By the allowance of God, but also by this. You know what God's judgment is more than anything? God's judgment is not, I will do this or I will do that. God's judgment is, I will take my grace away. And I'm going to tell you something. The worst thing you could ever think that could happen to this world is God moving his grace away. That's the worst judgment that would ever come. The worst judgment is not losing my leg. The worst judgment is not COVID. It's God moving his grace back, and we can't find grace for the salvation that we need. That would be God's judgment. David says, when I think about you and I think about what you've created with your fingers, he said, I am very excited to know that you've ordained it that the sun and the moon moves and rotates, not because of a scientific experiment or a scientific solution. It does it because God himself said that. I, don't you love that song? And I'm trying, I know my Redeemer lives. You ever heard of that? Let me sing it for you. All right. Don't you love that part? My buddy used to love that part where it says, who told the, to the sun where to stand in the morning? And who told all this stuff? And who told, I love the part, who told the ocean you could only come this far? You know what I mean? It's, it's like we, as scientific people, go, well, the ocean can only come so far because the beach is there, right? The sand is there. Well, when a hurricane comes in, that thing doesn't care anymore. But it's amazing because it's like my friend used to go, it's so awesome because I think about God going and the water's coming in and God going, nope, nope, you can only go that far. That's where you stop. Why? Because he's, if he's the creator... If he is God, the creator, who is magnificent in the heavens and his name is worthy to be praised, then he has ordained all of these things. That the stars will not fall without him knowing. Even Jesus said not one sparrow falls from the sky without him knowing. Not, listen to this. Not one hair from y'all's head falls without him knowing. I said it the right way. So David appraised this value and he's like, man, look at all this worth. Look at all this greatness. And I know that some of you, and and, and as well as I do, wake up sometimes and just think, boy, everything's just in a bad shape. Everything's horrible. But David took time when he stopped and considered, he went, there's nothing like what you've created, God. He said, when I've appraised the value of your creation, he says, priceless. Absolutely priceless. That brings David to the next point. He began to be appreciative for it. David began to have an appreciation for value. And David said these words. He said, look, verse 4, When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yes, the beasts of the fields, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, my heart, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And what he was saying was, he said, you did all of this stuff, you created all of this value, and then you turned around and you gave it to humanity. 
You turned around and gave dominion, rule, and authority to all of us. And what David was saying, listen, and you may not think this, but I do. He was saying, Lord, I thank you for fried catfish and hush puppies. He was. Yeah, I know y'all can't see that. I thank you for steak and lamb chops. I thank you for all. What he was saying is, is I'm appreciative. He said, Lord, you've made us to be over the fish of the sea. And over the fish of the sea means what? We catch them, we eat them. Over the cattle, over the beasts of the field, over the fowls of the air, over all of those things. Lord, thank you for the chicken. We're over the chicken. We eat the chicken. I know that some of y'all, y'all can call Peter on me and all that stuff all you want. But the scriptures tell us that God has given us all of this creation and placed it, and so David is going, thank you, Lord. I appreciate this great place that you've done. But then it moved David. It moved him to the point in verse 4. Look closely at it. I put it in all yellow. Verse 4, he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is son of man that you would visit him? It calls David when he was doing his appraisal. It caused him to give thanks to God. But it caused David to go, but why would you treat me that way? <laughs> why would you love me like that? And in those words, it's amazing. It says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Son of man that thou visitest him. You remember I told you we started on the porch with, O Lord, our Lord. O Jehovah, our Adonai. And sometimes in our English language, we kind of miss out on some things because, especially when it comes to Greek language over in the New Testament, there's so many words that mean so many different things. And when we just try to wrap it up in one English word like love, we miss out so much. I told you this, I think, last week. And then the Hebrew, it's really neat because, you know, having no vowels, only consonants, and you have little dots and all this stuff that's on there. And uh, you have these certain participles that are there and they're added in there for us to understand in the English language and not to be so choppy. And then you look at the original words and you look at this and you would say, David is saying, what is enosh? The Hebrew word is enosh. What is enosh? And what he's saying is, what is mortal man? He's saying, what is what is mankind? And so what he's saying is, please don't get offended by this. I know all of you are offended all week long because someone ended their prayer in a woman. Let's just understand, we should pray for those people because they don't understand the word of God. That's just it. They don't understand the word of God. When we say amen at the end of the scripture, we're not saying, okay, God, do it for all of us men. We're saying, let it be, is what that word means. <clears throat> so I know we got all messed up. And what he's saying is, what is man? It's not just David alone talking about himself. He's saying, what is humanity? What is mankind? What is Enosh? What is all of mortal mankind? That What did he say? That you're mindful of him. Some of you have translations that would say this. What is man? What, that you would remember him. The word is used to remember. And you go, well, was, which one is? Well, this is what it is. It's God placing his thoughts on us. That word there is zakar. Z-A-K-R. Uh, or excuse me, Z-A-K-A-R, but it's pronounced Zaycare. And I remember it this way because like he, Zaycare, he cares, right? If you think about it, he says, what is humanity that you are mindful? Mindful is Zaycare, he's a, that you would think about them. That word is defined like this, that you would remember, recollect, or make mention of. He said, all this stuff that you've done, all the creation of your hands, 
and the glory and how huge it is. And your seat, Sister Kathy, is above the heavens. All that stuff. What is mankind that you would remember us? That you would be mindful of us? That you would even care? David is struggling with that just like you and I. He says, of all your creation, why did you separate mankind from fish and from birds and y'all do know this you do know that you are greater and formed greater than just old crappie and just an old dog we were given fish to eat we were given cows to have steak amen. amen now i don't know i can't go as far scripturally especially in the old testament about porks and pigs and stuff we get the new testament we can talk about bacon but old testament god didn't really want us to do bacon very much but we were given animals to do what? To have companionship, friendship, to have, you know, go out and to, to walk them. And where's the boys at? To walk them and to feed them and to take care of them and to do all that stuff, right? To have a good time. But we're over them. Because why? You were formed differently than they were. You were formed differently. We're going to get to that. He says, what is man? He says, man, mankind's a care that you would be mindful of them. Then he goes to this next part and he says, what is man, son of man? Pekad is that word there. And what you would visit him. Pekad, what you would visit. And what this means, listen, this is good. He says, the word visit means that you would pay attention to him or observe him or attend or seek or to look about for him. That is amazing. For us that think no one loves us, for us that thinks that we are nobody and nothing, we are from nothing and going to nothing, the scripture says right here that David says, what is the son of man that you would pick at, that you would what? Attend to him. That you would observe him. You remember those times when your kids would come up to you and they would go, Hey, Daddy, watch this. Hey, Daddy, watch this. Hey, Daddy, watch this. And you were always going, Hang on, I'll watch you in a minute. Hang on, I'll watch you in a minute. Well, God's always observing you and he's always watching you. And when we ring the bells of heaven in prayer and go, God, don't you see what I'm going through? He's already said in the scripture that he observes our life. He observes us and he looks at us. And not only that, listen to this. He attends to us and he seeks us. It is not you that sought God in salvation. It is God that sought you in salvation. My evangelist friend wrote a song years ago. I wasn't looking for God, but I'm glad he was looking for me. Right? It is him that seeks us. And then he looks about us. That's what David's saying. David says, Lord, what is Enos? What is mankind that you, first of all, that you would be mindful of us, that you would actually remember us? But not only that, you move further than remembering us. You actually act upon remembering us and come down and attend to our broken hearts and attend to us. That while you're in the hospital, the Lord will be there with you. That while you're struggling, the Lord attends your way. Amen. That is good stuff. Makes you want to throw the pulpit. It's good. Because he says in that verse, there's a central theme. He says, Enosh, mortal mankind. But David moves in his language. Look, we see the next phrase. It says, and the son of man. That, that, that pre-part there, that the or the, it's not there in the original language. It has to be there for us. That's why in this scripture, if you look, it is not capitalized S-O-N, son of man. 
Because when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is called the capital S-O-N, Son of Man and Son of God. Why? Because what he's saying is, is he is preeminent. He is higher than all of the other created ones because why? He will go into the grave and he's coming out of the grave and he is the king of all of that, right? But in this scripture, David says, what is man? Enosh, that you would be mindful of him, remember him. But what is, and he says right here, Son of Man, which is Bane Adam. Verse I didn't come for a Hebrew lesson. You did. You just didn't know it. Bane Adam. B-E-N-A-D-A-M. Bane Adam. He says, what is son of man? And what he's saying is son of Adam. You know what Adam means? Dirt. Dust. He says, what is the sons and daughters of dust to an almighty God that you would come and visit with me. Do you see that? Is that not a God above all other gods? That's not a God sitting on his throne going bow before me, beneath me. You are peasants and all of these things. That is God saying, no, I love you so much that I'm willing to come and to visit with the dust that I created. That is amazing to me. Because I'm like David and go, why would you even want to do that? Why would you want to visit with us today? Of all God's creatures, listen, they were all made in the book of Genesis with a simple command. God said, let there be fish, fish, light, light, right? That, when you go fishing with me, ask my dad, he's here. When you go fishing with me, I pray all the time. Before I get there, I pray, God, let me catch more than anybody I'm fishing with. While I'm there, if we're not catching fish, I go, Lord, please let me catch a fish. Let me catch a fish. Please let me catch a fish. Lord, I promise you the fish a keeper. I'll keep it and I'll do it. I even start singing to them. I sing an old Doors song. I know you're going to ridicule me, but I sing, Come on, baby, bite my hook. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do all of that because I want to catch fish. And you go, well, Brother Steve, that's just selfish. I catch fish and I clean them and I bring them back and we have fish fries here at the church. So you should pray for your pastor. Okay, I love going fishing. This is what I do all the time. I tell my boys, they hate fishing. They're starting to like it a little bit more. But I always say, and they may have hated fishing because I always pray that I catch more than them. But I always say, you don't know if you don't throw. That's my slogan. If you don't know there's fish over there unless you throw over there. And look, now when I go fishing from now, I'm going to do like David's talking about. I'm going to say, there's fish. Fish. God spoke it into existence. Fish. And I'm going to catch them. Bible says that they all were created with one simple command, but mankind, Adam first formed, wasn't with the voice only. God himself reached down clay, and he got the dust of the earth, and he formed him wonderfully, beautifully in his hand. Then he did what was above all other things, all other things. If that wasn't enough, he did above that. He reached down and breathed over his nostrils into his body the breath of life. He gave Adam something that the fishies didn't have. And that was a soul. That was what? That was God himself being put into that mankind. That's what it is. That, listen, all other creatures, they were formed in the image of each other. I mean, a catfish doesn't necessarily look like a crappie, but yet they're from the same kind, and they, go, they can't go upward. They, they, no matter what science tells you, they don't go upward. There's no catfish people, okay? 
in their little thing, they can only grow, they can't grow, they can only grow macro, they grow this way, they can't grow up and down this way, and so therefore, if they're a fish in life, they're going to be the fish the rest of their life. And so here they are. They were all created. Even the fruit of the tree, the Bible says that the seed that's in itself, it would bear another one. Apple seeds bear what? They make apples. Oranges make oranges, right? And now the Bible says right here that when humanity was created, it took the whole counsel of God. Took all of them. It took God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They said, let us make man in our image. And they put all three characteristics inside of the human person. And when he breathed the breath of life into him, he actually breathed into him what? Life eternal. Adam in the Garden of Eden had life eternal. Because why? He was a wonderful creation that God created. All creatures were created for service, but humanity was created for dominion over those creations. Man got his name from God, but Adam was the one that named all the other stuff. Huh? You ever thought about that? Isn't that pretty neat? God says, you name them. Cal walks by and he goes, Cal. You know what I mean? He looks at all that and he goes, fish. Crappie. Bass. He named them all. We have to look at the scripture. He named them all. If he named them all, and the Bible says he did that, then he did it. I love it when woman was finally created. Adam wakes up from his sleep. First thing he thinks of, he gets to name her, and the only thing he come up with was, whoa, man. Right? It was different from all the other creations. Now, you don't look ugly at me. That's exactly. Listen, he said, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He said, nah, now, that's somebody that I could like to get to know. It's what he did. Named her woman. The Bible says that the worth of creation, that David said it was the greatest thing ever. And look at all that we can do. All the little thing moving and all that stuff, all that we have in us. But then something happened. Bear with me. The worst of creation happened. The worst of creation happened. You know what happened? Sin came in. Sin is a disobedient act against God. Listen to me before you leave today. Sin is not one specific little thing that people do. Sin is not, you know, uh, drunkenness. Sin is not that. We understand that. But sin is simply this, disobedience to God's word. That's sin. So what that does, it classifies everything. See, because what we're good at is we classify everybody else's sin as a sin. But yet our disobedience is not as bad as their disobedience, which is why the whole world is messed up, because if they can't see Christ within us, then they're not going to find him at all. Because why? We were created in the image of God. We're supposed to be reflectors of the Lord God Almighty here on this earth. And if they can't see God in us, where are they going to find him? So in the scripture, it says that an immoral act or transgression against the divine law of God, a wrong or wrongdoing or an act of evil happened. We know the Bible says that when Adam sinned, that something happened. It was marred. It was like taking that beautiful red, and, uh, red heart and cross picture, and now it's blurry and stained and not as beautiful as it was anymore. And what are the results from our sin? Guilt, shame, and being marred. Guilt is what? It's, it's, it's the fact, the ever knowledge of knowing that we've committed something wrong and we've done a wrongdoing. The shame is what? It's feeling painful or humiliation or distress because of what we've done in our foolish or wrong behavior. But marred is a different word. Marred is kind of this biblical word. We don't, we don't walk up and roam the streets every day, you know, today and go, oh, I was going to buy that painting, but it's a little marred. You know, we don't say that. We say it's blurred or messed up or it's deformed is what our words we use. But in the scriptures, the word marred 
is something that's uh, a little bit deeper to me, in my opinion, about what I want to share with you today. Marred means this, an impaired or an appearance or disfigured uh, appearance of someone or something. Adam and Eve carried the very image of God with them when they sinned. Now they have a messed up image. That they still had the image of God being mind, body, and soul that God created us. The wonderful creation that he created all the whole counsel of God did. But they lost something. They lost life. The Bible says that now, because of their sin, death was pronounced upon them. And not only them, but it was pronounced upon all of creation. And so now, not only do we bear the image of God in creation, being fearfully and wonderfully and beautifully made in the sight of God and the image of God within our mother's womb, but we also do what? We carry the marred image of our ancestor, Adam, in need of what? Fixing. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. He says in Acts chapter 8, Repent therefore of this wick, thy wickedness, and pray to God, or pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive, look at this, that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. We're wrapped up, we're messed up because of sin. Uh, Romans tells it better than anything. Paul said the wages of sin is death. The gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He tells us throughout Scripture how messed up and marred that we are. But if you look at that, you don't really get a hold of it until you understand what's going to happen to Jesus. I don't like the fact of thinking about like the movies that have been produced and other things. And when we get to the hard scriptures of the book of John, chapter number 19, and we hear about what happened to Jesus, it's difficult for me sometimes. I'm very thankful for what he did for me and what he did at the cross. But what I'm saying is difficult for me sometimes. It's, it's hard for me to understand why he would want to do that. They took him in a kangaroo, uh, kangaroo court style thing that night. According to their Jewish laws of the, the Mishnah, the Haggadah, all that, they could not have any kind of council meetings together or especially any kind of court system meetings together past sunset of that day. Anything that was going up to the sunset would have to be proceeded to the next day. But they had no problem taking the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, that night. The Bible says that night, you know what they did to him? They went and they tried to pay people to come and lie about him. They went out and tried to pay people to say that he was a devil and that he did these devilish things. And they couldn't find anything against him. But the Bible says that during that night that he was before the high priest and the high priest was questioning him. And as the high priest was questioning him about, are you the Messiah? Are you the Mashiach? Are you the Messiah? And he said the words, thou sayest it. The Bible says in detail that one of the servants of the high priest reached out and struck Jesus. So Clay, that all that night they beat on him and they spit on him, plucking his beard out and all that. And the whole time I'm like David and go, God, why? Why would you leave the heavenly glories and come down here to visit dust? And not only to do that, to visit, but to be done that way. Why would you do that? And I've often, since I've been saved, why, God, did it have to be that way? Because sin had to be dealt with. And in order for sin to be dealt with, God had to show us how severe or the severity of sin and its results. 
And when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, what did they do? They realized they were sinners and that now they were realizing shame and guilt because they realized that they were naked and they clothed, they sewed fig leaves together and clothed themselves. Well, the Bible doesn't say, and the Lord saw their fig leaves and said, good job, well done, go your way. No. Somewhere in the Garden of Eden, somewhere this happened, animals were killed and life was taken and blood was drained in order for them to be clothed. Because the Bible says when they left the Garden of Eden, they were clothed with the skins of animals. And then it says, and in the process of time, it's a big word, especially in the creational book, in the process of time, something took place. And what took place was it came time for Adam's sons, Cain and Abel, to go and present an offering unto the Lord. And the Bible says that Cain's offering was not accepted and that Abel's was accepted because Abel's was bloodshed. Life had to be taken because in order to bring an offering of sin, in order for forgiveness to be done, God said life is valuable and life is precious. That's why God said, you can't bring me your three-legged lambs. They've got to be perfect. He said, you can't bring me your lamb or your sheep or you can't bring me your oxen <clears throat> that have mange and messed up and all that. You can't do that. He said it had to be the best. Even to the point, listen to me, listen to me. Even to the point that on Passover, every year they had to do it for Passover, that they had to go out and you would take your family and you would go out there and you'd take Jacob and you'd take, uh, 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 I've lost his name, you'd take Tucker and you would go out there and you'd say, all right, boys, we got to go find the best lamb. God does not want the skimpy, the bruised, and the battered ones. I will not do it. He needs the best. Why the best, Dad? And that Jewish dad had to explain because it has to be after the image of perfection of God's creation by God's almighty hand. It has to be the best. And so they would go out there and they would take that little lamb and they'd say, okay, daddy, what are we going to do with it? And he would say, we are told by God to bring it into our home, into our home and tie it to the front door of the post for 10 days. And so for 10 days, little boys would go out there and feed that lamb and make sure it was fed. And you got to imagine the Bible says that it would drink from their cup and it would eat from their plate and how close that they would get to that lamb, to the perfection of God only to have the day of 14th day come up and that lamb has to be slaughtered. Not slaughtered, listen to me. They would drain the blood from that lamb before they put it on sacrifice. They would divide that lamb into pieces. Fat would go here, meat would go here, bones would go here, skin would go here, entrails would go here, and they did certain things with it to where literally they crushed the life of that lamb. They didn't just go over there and go, oh, scratch it a little bit, and that's good enough for our sins. God said, no, 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 you can't do it that way. Why, God, why has it got to be done this way? Because you got to know what sin's going to do to you. You need to know how far it's going to take you and destroy you, and you need to do And it was all a show, an illustration to lead up to what? To Jesus. Have you ever thought, Lord, you could have done anything you wanted to to redeem people and save people? If you spoke things into existence, you could have done whatever you wanted to. Why? Why did you give Jesus, your son, to go through that? Why? Because he's telling you how much you're worth. He's telling you that it had to be that brutal because you view a drug addict, alcoholic, child molester, 
murderer, you view them with disdain and you think that is a horrible thing that they're doing. And God says, all sin is that. And my son had to suffer a horrible death, a horrible death, so that his righteous blood, the son of God, God himself, his blood would cleanse you from all of your sins. See, the worth of creation. (laughs) And then we were the worst of creation. But then God does this last thing and gives us the wealth of salvation. It's the last thing. The wealth of salvation. Brandon, you go ahead and come on. I told him earlier that y'all know when this gives y'all comfort when I ask Brandon to go ahead and come sing, you know there's only 25 minutes left. (laughs) Possibly 30. I said it makes people feel good. The wealth of salvation. What God did for us in salvation. You remember David's appraisal? He said... What is Enosh man that you would think of, or you'd visit and remember? And what has been Adam, fleshly born of dust man, that you would visit him? See, it's our dilemma that's caused sin. It's not, God's, it's not God's dilemma, it's our dilemma. And what we need is we need saving. And so God instituted that service of the Lamb, and he told them that, look, if you do this every year, every single year, your sins will be covered. That's what he said. It's really cool. Don't, don't turn me off yet. Listen, y- y'all don't have to come back tonight. He said their sins will be covered. But then what happens, Brother Heath, is that we sin. And so every year they'd have to go back. And even every day. Yearly was just a national thing. Daily was what they'd have to do, what, what, what I'd have to do. Some of our herds would be very thin. Huh? And he'd put the shroud he cover it up. The Bible even tells it in Romans chapter 4, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins, look, are covered. All through the Old Testament, the word covered, 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 covered is used. The blood covered the mercy seat and all that. But then that service of the Lamb moves now to what Jesus did for us. It's the satisfaction of the New Testament Lamb. The Old Testament Lamb can only cover up our sins. It could only do this right here and cover up what we did wrong. But the New Testament Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, removed it. So the illustration is this. The Old Testament Lamb, it almost put a Band-Aid on a cancer. God in the New Testament, Jesus the Son, removed the cancer and took it away. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says that he came in to remove and to take away our sins. Look, why? To do these things right here. Listen, to do these things. If you can write them, that's fine. If you don't, email me and I'll give you all my notes. To give wealth back to our worth. That's what God wanted to do. Now, that don't look like much. It looks like I found that quarter out in the pasture. It don't look like much. Here's what most people want to do. <clears throat> most people want to go, well, I'm going to come to God. And what they do is they go, all right, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And they go to the other side because the other side don't look as nasty. So, I'll, uh, you know, I'm good. But the backside's still dirty. The backside's still sinful. No, no, no. What we need is we need to be cleansed. You know, I, I got this quarter. I, I got two quarters out today. I got them out of my, my bucket by my bed I told you all about last Sunday. <clears throat> and Patty said, what you looking for? I said, I'm looking for the dirtiest quarter. And I was like, she looked at me funny. She said, I got a whole bag of them up at, church, at Crossroads. And I went, why do you got a whole bag of dirty quarters? 
because I know her. She's a germaphobe, and she takes the dirty ones out and puts them away. And I'm sure she's going to be going through a cleaning process with them. She's, yeah, she's, she's mine. Patty, Patty, my Patty. But if you look at this, if I was to ask you which one you want, I'm pretty sure you want this one that's COVID and possibly other things free. You want this one, right? All of us would. But what's the worth of each of them? Both of them are the same. Both of them are worth 25 cents, which I know what you're also thinking. That ain't worth a whole lot, but it is worth something. And see, that's what somebody has convinced you. Somebody's convinced you because of your sin and because you were marred that you're not worth anything. Somebody has convinced someone today that they're not worth anything and they're filling themselves up with alcohol and with drugs and they're trying to cope with it all because someone looked at them and said, you're absolutely useless. You are no good. And so they don't know Christ and the value that they have. And so they're trying to fix it with other things. There's some ladies today that try to take their life where somebody has told them those same lies and they try to cover it up with all kinds of makeup and dresses and to look beautiful and try to present themselves as they're really not and do all kinds of selfies because they don't understand their value. But somebody, somebody is at the brink of it's not worth it anymore. No one cares anyway. No one loves me. And they're about to check out early because somebody's convinced them that they're just a dirty, nasty old quarter. And here you and I are to worship the Lord this morning and realize the worth that we have. We are to take that and to go out there and not shine in the brightness of pride. We are to shine for the glory of Jesus Christ. We are to shine unto this world that's dark and doomed without salvation of God. How do we do that? God gives the wealth back to our worth. The Bible says this. Isaiah, a prophet of God, years before Jesus came to this earth, he tried to put in terminology, in words for us, to explain what it would be like when the Messiah would come and what would happen when he is cut off, as the prophecy says, or dies for the sins of the world. And Isaiah <coughs> said these words, that he was bruised for our iniquities. That by his stripes, we are made whole and we're healed. But Isaiah said, when he saw the vision, he said, when I saw the Messiah on that, that sacrifice, he said these words, his vision was marred. And you look at that and you go, what does that mean? The vision of who Jesus was, was marred. He said it was so beaten and battered, and not a bone was broken, but so beaten and battered that you could not tell that it was like a man. It was so marred. It was so beat up, which is what sin did to us. And then Jesus, the perfect son of God, steps in and becomes, Kathy, marred for us. 
To do what? To bring the wealth of our worth back. To give us worthiness back. Amen. And it's like I think about, Lord, what did he think of all the way up Calvary? All the way up Calvary's hill. And it constantly was this. He wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for the Father's will and for our worth. He was bringing worth back to us again. Amen. I'm not worthy. I'm just an old dirt soul. But I'm worthy because of Jesus. Here's the other thing. He gave, I love the John 3, 16. He said, God loved the world so much that he gave his son, his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Hebrews says this, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, I like this, sat down on the right hand of God. Here's the other thing. He come to give marvelous back to our mired. Amen. My, don't, don't you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love it if Billy Crystal was here and go, you look marvelous. Huh? The younger people don't know what I'm talking about. You older people know what I'm talking about. God says, I'm marvelous again. I was fearfully and wonderfully created. Marvelous are thy works, Lord, is what he said in Psalms. And then we were messed up. But then because of Jesus, he gave marvelous back to me. Amen. I'm marvelous. I am. I know you're thinking it. Ephesians 4, and you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Because of Jesus, I am not what I used to be, thank God. Listen, here's the other two, to give life back to death. That's the best one. First Peter says, when he was reviled, he didn't revile again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self, brother Heath, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And I know that most of us take that Old Testament Isaiah, and we sit around, and we get sick, we get sinus, we get this, we go, and we say, the word says, by his stripes you are healed. That's not what that scripture is speaking about. God's not wanting to take away just your sinus infection. He's not wanting to take away just a disease of cancer or COVID or anything like that. No, the Lord desires that you be saved. God doesn't want you to be saved here physically and then end up dying without him by his stripes when he went to the cross of Calvary. He was doing that so that we could live eternally. Amen. Here's the last one. To give satisfaction to our salvation. Man, I think about that old song. I'm satisfied. Salvation. It's not an annual or reoccurring event that we've got to do over and over and over and over again. What Jesus did at Golgotha satisfied the law of sin. God said, no, in order for your sins to be paid for, somebody has to come in and take your place. A lamb, a bullock, Jesus did that. He satisfied it. Didn't cover it, but he removed it. Listen to this, here's the very last thing. Not only... Not only when Jesus died at Golgotha did he satisfy the law of sin, but when he was raised out of that garden tomb, he satisfied the law of death. See, the law of death says you're a sinner and I'm going to hold you down in death. But because of what Jesus did, I want to do my hands like this so you can hear me better. Because of what Jesus did and coming up out of the grave, he satisfied the law of death too. I will not stay there. I will not stay there. Pour concrete on top of me. I will not stay there. I am alive. It, I am alive today, but if I die with him, I'll be more alive than I ever was alive. Amen. Listen, the Bible says in 1 John, I'm closing, and you know that he was manifested. This is so good. I can't throw that, but I'm going to throw something. 
It's so good. You know that he was manifested to do what? To cover our sins. And in him is no sin. That ain't what it said. Jesus didn't come to cover up our sins. No, you know that he was manifested to take them away. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Amen. Listen, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says, God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, while we were marred and messed up and not marvelous, Christ died for us. So much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. What's wrath? The destruction of sin and death. How shall we be saved by wrath? Look at, read it with me. What two words? Through him. Through him. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Look at me. You are valuable. No matter what others have told you, you have precious worth. And it's just like that illustration how this picture is fading into view for us. You were marred, and some of us are still marred by sin. But God wants you to be whole. So he offers his son to you. And he says, if you trust in his sacrifice for your remission of your sins, that you can be made marvelous. Look, you go home today. When your wife looks at you, your husband looks at you, your kids look at you, you just look and say, tell them, I'm marvelous. Tell them. Tell somebody tomorrow. Look at them and say, do you know what God thinks about you? Do you want to know how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and how to make disciples of Jesus? Tell people what they're worth to the Lord. Don't do this. Don't go, that's just a dirty old quarter. I ain't picking that thing up. That ain't worth nothing. That ain't worth nothing. It's worth something worth something. God, please help us to get the 160% ratio in the numbers of people not wanting to live anymore of the ages 12 to 14. God, forgive us. Help us as Christians to share with them that they have such value, that you saw so much Lord, in creating them, that you love them so much that even if they become marred by sin, that you already had a plan of redemption in place. God, please, please help us to know how valuable that we are. Lord, for my friends that are here today who are struggling with this, who feel insignificant because of some lie that someone's told them, I pray specifically for them. For somebody that may have stayed at home today to watch the service because they feel that way. They feel that no one wants to be around them. I pray for them. God, show them their beauty and their worth and their value.